Welcome to the Making Headway Podcast, a podcast for brain injury survivors by brain injury survivors, providing resources and camaraderie for anyone recovering from any type of brain injury. Hi, y'all. Welcome back to Making Headway Podcast. You are here today with Erin and Emily Parks. Emily Parks is a patient advocate. She um, works with the website POP, also an Instagram account, um, and helps with medical PTSD. So, um, so many of us have had um, hospital experiences, medical experiences that maybe lend themselves to feeling a little traumatized afterwards. So, um, although Emily is not a brain injury survivor, I really think her story and her message is going to resonate with everyone. So, we wanted to have her on. So, welcome, Emily. Hi, thanks for having me. Yes, I love it. Um, So Emily and I have been chatting a little bit and um, we thought it would be good. You know, her her story is definitely one that I think needs to be heard. Um, So how about we just start there? Yes. um, So I a little bit about me. I'm a uh, I'm a young adult living with chronic illness. Uh, My diagnoses are gastroparesis, short bowel syndrome, um, chronic intestinal pseudo obstruction. I've had it since I was itty bitty baby and I was dependent on IV nutrition or some know it as uh, parenteral nutrition. Uh, this was because the muscles in my intestine were so weak they couldn't absorb anything uh, that I ate or drank. Uh, I had an ileostomy, I had a gastrostomy. And so I spent a lot of time in and out of the healthcare system, just maintaining my own health. Um, And I never really thought of myself as somebody who had been traumatized by being in and out of the hospital. But in hindsight, it was very, very disruptive. It disrupted school, um, my ability to, uh, you know, develop and maintain relationships just because of these constant interruptions. Um, I, I didn't start realizing that maybe I did have a traumatic response to being ill. And, and when I say in and out of the healthcare system, I, I mean, in and out of the hospital, but also all the doctors and the doctors changing and learning, uh, how insurance works and staying on top of bills and then interacting with providers in a chaotic system. So, I mean, anybody out there who's been in and out of the hospital, they know that, um, you know, you can come in and be told one thing and a completely different thing happens, or, you know, the goal is for you to get out there, out of the hospital as quick as you can, but sometimes you're there much longer and there's just a lot of ins- uncertainty that goes with being in and out of the hospital and there's no w- linear path. Yeah. Um, it can take a bunch of kind of curves and edges um, to get healthy again because the whole situation, how your body's healing is an uncertainty. So I didn't really think of myself as deeply affected by it, even to the point of being traumatized until I was in my mid-20s. I had just moved outside of the Washington, D.C. area for work. 
I work in behavioral health, so this is kind of where behavioral and health and patient advocacy comes together in medical PTSD. Um, and I didn't have anything to do. I didn't know anybody in the area. And so I decided to take up ballroom dance lessons, ah. uh, which was something I always kind of wanted to do. I never really had time for, but I thought this was like the perfect time. And so I started taking ballroom dance lessons at a local Arthur Murray. And the first six months were absolutely horrible because I was so uncomfortable and I couldn't make eye contact with anybody that I was dancing with because I found that when people were within a certain kind of distance from me, I suddenly broke eye contact and I I wasn't really sure why I was doing this. I just, I, I don't know if I got embarrassed or I was so uncomfortable, I couldn't make eye contact. And over time, I realized that when people are that close to me, normally it's a provider of some sort poking me, prodding me, uh, cutting me, uh, putting me in a scan machine. So there was this association that was going on. And I was tensing up because being poked and prodded and cut and all that stuff and things happening to you that, of course, you consented to. But if it was in a perfect world, of course, you wouldn't consent to it. You're consenting to it because you kind of need to for your own health. Um, you know, you tense your body up because something's about to happen to it. And so I, I realized there was an association between people being close to me or people touching me and my experiences in the healthcare system. And so for the first six months, um, it was really, really difficult. I couldn't really engage. Um, I always ran out of the studio as fast as I could. And people normally like uh, network afterwards or they chit chat or they, you know, talk to each other and I would get, I would fly on out of there. And once I made this realization, I started thinking, well, where else is this occurring in both my life and in dance? And how does being tense or not making eye contact affect my dance? And the answer is loads and loads of ways, um, such as, you know, if you're not relaxed, you can't really follow very well, and then your dance is going to be all messed up. Or if you're not making eye contact, you essentially don't know what your lead's doing, and you can also lose your balance. But then I was also thinking, like, how does this affect me outside of dance in my social life? Because looking back, because I was in and out of the hospital, there were a lot of friendships that kind of went neglected. Um, because most of the people I hung out with when I was um, a teenager uh, were people who were not sick. I just didn't grow up in an area where um, people were talking about being ill or not. Um, so it kind of made sense that I didn't have a ton of friends growing up. Probably they maybe sensed that I was uncomfortable or the friends I did have, they didn't really last very long. Um, I think that kind of leads to uh, 
trust problems, uh, fear of judgment problems. Mm -hmm. And so from there, it was just kind of, it was almost like the floodgates were open. Right. And uh, it was just like, oh my God, it's everywhere. And once I had kind of done this work on me, I was thinking, well, this all kind of makes sense because the healthcare system and hospitals in general, they are places of healing and they're places of positivity and that, you know, people are getting cured. Um, uh, but they are kind of an aggressive, almost violent place because people are getting cut. People are getting poked and prodded. Um, people uh, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've cried in a hospital bed, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. Yeah. And so there must be other people who feel this way, too, especially with the communication issues in the healthcare system, which have been, or even the, the need for more empathy in healthcare that's been slowly on the rise, you know, these topics talking about it. Yeah. And so that's what led me to creating POP, because I was like, I can't be the only one. If you or someone you know is struggling to recover after brain injury like a stroke, take a free online assessment at modusnova.com forward slash making headway to see if their robots can help boost your recovery. If you are struggling with stroke recovery, take the free online assessment at modusnova.com forward slash making headway to learn if Modus can help you recover. And so your creation of POP, um, talk to me a little bit about that journey. Um, what is, what um, is it POP? started very small. Um, I started realizing all this stuff and what I wanted to do right around the time that I got an intestinal transplant. So I was like, oh, let me hold off. I don't want to start too soon, have to get a transplant and then pick it all up later. So it all started right after my transplant. And I mean, like almost immediately after my transplant. Um, I, uh, I started off with an Instagram account and started, I, I had done patient advocacy and public speaking in a couple of places, but I never really figured out where I wanted to be in patient advocacy. Um, there's a lot of different routes you can go and, you know, I was trying all these different areas and, Nothing really kind of sung to me. I tried uh, legislative stuff, nothing that didn't really speak to me. Um, I thought about entering, you know, uh, advocacy for, um, you know, more genetic testing. But at the time, I was like, well, this isn't really genetic. Um, only later to be given a genetic test and actually this whole illness is genetic and everything is probably genetic. Um, but that was, that was previous me. Right. It wasn't an interest of um, yours. Yeah. It wasn't an interest of mine at the time. Um, drug development uh, didn't really seem right. There was just a bunch of areas where I was like, mm. um, I think I was much more into the psychology and there wasn't a lot going on with psychology and medicine that wasn't schizophrenia, depression, bipolar. Right. Um, so I was kind of coming up with this as I went and talking to some people. A lot of people were 
very, very um, encouraging of this. Um, a big person who encouraged me actually was my family. Um, my entire family's in behavioral health, but um, they were all like, you know, I think you're really on to something. And other people were telling me that. So I just kind of went, kept going for it, started applying to some speaking gigs, made my own website, um, you know, made PowerPoints. And I'm at the point where I'm hopefully starting research soon, um, hopefully starting some education modules soon. Um, and it kind of took off after I made that initial Instagram. That's amazing. And it, like you said, you know, with psychology, it's easy to think of those big diagnoses. And, you know, some of us definitely have those. Um, but there's not, you know, I have, I haven't heard the term medical PTSD really at all. Um, so having a place to go when you feel traumatized from the health system must be so gratifying for not only you, but everyone else that is coming along. Yeah, definitely. Um, it is certainly gratifying in that my experience is valid and my experience is real yeah. and that other people have experienced it. But then there's been people who have said, you know, I didn't know about this or um, like, you know, now that I've kind of heard about this, I'm, I've been talking to my therapist or I've been, um, you know, it all makes sense to me or people who are like, yes, thank you. There's, you know, I feel like I've been talking about this to my providers for a while. And, you know, especially with some communities more than others, uh, being dismissed, like it's all in your head, like the endo community. Mm -hmm. um, it's all in your head or you're just making it up or you're not in pain. Uh, and then this is kind of, this is an area to kind of look more towards. It, yeah, you raise a good point, those um, invisible types of illnesses where it all is, mm -hmm. you know, that's what brain injury is too. It's all reliant yeah. on you being able to communicate what is it that's different, what's changed, what's bothering you. And sometimes that can be really hard to do, especially when you're feeling traumatized. Um, you're, you're not necessarily thinking in the right mind. Um, and it relies on someone being really gracious and willing to listen and to kind of find, you know, what can we do to help here um, and to really empathize. Do you have um, tips like for, so for people that maybe are feeling, well, let's back up. Um, maybe let's talk about what, you know, for you, you had to do an exploration into yourself to be like, where are these behaviors coming from? Is that something you recommend to somebody that's feeling maybe disenfranchised is a big word, but just kind of left off on their own? I would recommend that if you're at that place and have that level of insight. Uh, I think what really aided me in being able to do that is because I work in behavioral health. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of practicing what I preach. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I think it is definitely, definitely worth a shot. Like, you know, this is an area of my life that I want improvement in. Why, what am I feeling when this happens? That leads to the reaction that I don't want. Hmm. And what do you do, like, if you're an observer, um, you know, you've observed this quality in yourself. Um, do you find that there's anything helpful to do with that? Or is just acknowledging? Um, yeah, so going back to the example of um, not socializing after the dance classes or the lessons were over, I kind of did a lot of what you could call uh, calculated risks. So normally I would just leave, but then it would be like, okay, stay for five minutes. That's all you need to stay for is five minutes. And then stay for 10 minutes. And then it would be the goal, talk to one person. So these very kind of, it's not like, oh, be a social butterfly. It's these one small steps. And then also giving myself a lot of forgiveness if it didn't happen. Like if I really am just feeling way emotionally burnt out or I'm feeling, you know, extra anxious, it's okay if I don't make it that five minutes. Yeah. Um, so when I'm feeling good, take that challenge. And when I'm not feeling good, be okay with, you know, just taking a bow this time. And how has or this... it could be, um, or it could be with eye contact. I would be dancing with whoever I was dancing with and be like, okay, glance and see if you two make eye contact now. <laughs> then I glance at the guy and then look away. Um, kind of like that dipping you know, your toe in the water. Um, yeah, you know, just yeah, getting, exactly. Going a little bit more in, a little bit more into that cold pool until eventually exactly. you feel kind of acclimated. Yeah. Okay. Um, how has this? So, so providers, I can imagine, are maybe like you said, not always aware that this could be traumatizing to somebody. Yeah. Um, how? Is there anything that they can do or any response, any recommendations that you've seen from having, um, I know you have discussion groups and you talk with lots of people. Is there anything that you could recommend for interfacing with your provider to help protect yourself or what you need from them to help? A lot of the times with morning rounds or talking to my outpatient clinic team, if things are getting confusing um, or I feel like I'm being dismissed. I will, it's almost like my behavioral health voice. Um, But I'm not afraid now to not raise my voice to a yelling point, but kind of raise it to like a, I'm asserting myself Mm -hmm. level. Um, And the kind of things I say is, okay, so you're going to do X, Y, Z. And then you're going to call me. And then I'll do X, Y, Z. So it's just kind of everybody knows the agenda. Everybody knows the plan. And let's say that the doctor is like very into interrupting, saying, yes, I understand. We're going to, 
yes, I understand you want to address that. But right now, uh, you're going to do XYZ and call me and I'm going to do XYZ. Does that work? So it's almost like, let's bring it back and let's just deal with it at this level. Okay, you said you wanted to talk about something else. And there's some, I mean, there, there are some providers where you have more success than others. Um, but it's, I almost go into doctor appointments now thinking of it like a business deal. Um, so, you know, you have your part, I have my part. The shared goal is, I don't know, getting the business deal. Only this time the business deal is me getting healthy. Um, everybody has their different communication styles based off of um, their experiences and what they find works. And it's just finding a negotiation somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. Also thinking of it as a business deal or us doing business kind of takes the emotion out of it. You can kind of address things more, less personally. And that this is just business. And I, I know that can be really, really hard. It was really, really hard for me to sh- have that mind shift because what could be more, um, what can be more personal than your body and your health because it's, it's your quality of life we're talking about. But I, I choose to believe that people who go into medicine really do want to help people. Yeah. I I mean, there definitely is that financial function, but there's plenty of ways to go into, there's plenty of careers that you could go into to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, medical school is no joke. <laughs> you could do a lot less schooling right. and make more money. Right. Um, I really, really do believe that every provider that goes into medicine um, chooses to do so because they get to help people. Absolutely. And there may be there may be disagreements or um, you know coulda woulda shouldas, um, but it's what can we do next? What can we do to improve next time? Because what happened happened. And, of, you know, what can we do next? And that means what can the provider do next? And what can we do as patients next? So it's really having that awareness that you want things to be better this time. And um, having, you know, not going into it with an open mind to be able to advocate for yourself with an, an idea of a plan, you know, you know, so I guess to yeah. help patients going into like a doctor's office visit or whatnot, um, you have an idea of what you're going there for and, um, yeah. you're asking your questions. And I like that idea that you had of reframing and spilling back the plan to make sure everyone understands and that we're on the same page. Yeah. And, you know, communication is such a 
big part of it too. So I'm fascinated with communication. I would say I'm both really good at communication and really bad at communication. <laughs> I think we all are. <laughs> because, I, because I'm a little hard on myself. Uh-huh, um, <laughs> um, but it's even when I as a patient screw up or my doctor screws up, it's how can we communicate that too? You know, how can, you know, what are the, that, I mean, that's, I'll give an example right now. So I, because I'm a transplant recipient, I'm on serolimus and I get a serolimus levels done um, once a month. And my serolimus levels have kind of been all over the place. They're either too high or too low. And that's my screw up that that's because um, I've been having some insomnia problems lately and I wake up at 11 a.m. and take my serolimus. That's why my levels are off. And so, you know, when my doctor said or when my nurse practitioner said, you know, I really prefer to get, um, you know, your levels now because they've been up and down. I'm like, oh, that's my fault. I don't think anything's wrong. That's me. Or um, I remember a time when I was inpatient and uh, it was right after a scope and I'm very, very particular on how I like to go under for anesthesia because I have especially a lot of um, anxiety around anesthesia from countless times of being kind of uh, having a sneak attack of anesthesia. Oh, jeez. Um <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And so uh, there was uh, my my kind of way of being put under is uh, is I need to know everything that's going on in the room before it happens. Like, I need to be told, okay, we're push, we're gonna push the anesthesia now. Is that okay? I need to be asked permission. Mm. You can't just say, oh, we're doing the anesthesia as you're pushing it. Because I need a few seconds to emotionally get ready. And when I mean a few seconds, I actually mean like maybe 30 seconds. I'm not like, oh, five minutes. Uh, And then I'm just delaying things. So every time I go under, I explain this to the anesthesiologist. And there was one instance where, uh, you know, that did not happen. I got the anesthesia sneak, um, sneak up. And so you know, they were, he was like, okay, I'm about to push it. He had already started pushing it. And so then I'm like feeling weird. And I tell everybody to stop because I think there's a medical emergency. And then I just stopped and I looked at this man and I said, did you just give me anesthesia? And he looks at my doctor and he's like, we have to go, we have to go. And so later she, she was not the one that needed to come in and apologize, but she came in and said, you know, I, that was inappropriate. We were talking about it later. Um, you know, I have your back in there Mm. all the time. Um, but that was, you know, she owned up in the way that she felt like she needed to. So that's two examples of me saying, Hey, I screwed up and her saying, Hey, I screwed up. Mm -hmm. Um, which she didn't, uh, she can't choose her anesthesia, anesthesiologist. Um, but th- those like that, I f- I find when I hear stories uh, from patients where they're talking lawsuits, one one thing that I hear quite often, and this isn't every case, but I hear quite often, 
that they felt dismissed, that nobody came in and talked to them about it. Nobody came in and validated and acknowledged things. You know, they, they kind of just disappeared. And so communication is very important in this too, because this is all about feeling respected and valued. Yeah. And we're, we're all humans. I mean, mistakes yeah. unfortunately do happen, but it's how you handle those mistakes that make it either a traumatic event or a growth event. Yeah, uh, exactly. It, yeah. Are you finding it hard to recover at home after a stroke? Modus Nova makes robotic devices to help folks with a brain injury regain the use of their affected limbs. Recovery after stroke takes thousands of hours of work that isn't all covered in outpatient therapy. Whether you're 10 days or 10 years post-stroke, recovery is still possible. You just need many hours of rehab to make that happen. The Modus hand or foot are AI-powered robotic exoskeletons that help users do exercises through the playing of video games, similar to the way an occupational or physical therapist might work with your limb. Recovery after stroke is hard because stroke survivors don't get enough hours of rehab to regain function. Find out if Modus Nova can help you by taking their free online assessment at modusnova.com slash making headway. Modus Nova helps survivors with little or no movement get moving again. They help you get in the repetitions you need to form new neural pathways. Through playing video games, the robotic hand and foot can assist with limb movements to provide a personalized exercise experience. If this sounds like something you want to try, visit modusnova.com slash making headway to learn more. Make sure to use special code making headway when you sign up and get a month free with the 30 day challenge. Visit modusnova.com slash making headway to get started. That's M O T U S N O V A dot com slash making headway. So for people that have had the unfortunate experience of not being able to catch the trauma before it happens. Yeah. Is there, you know, it can be really tough. Uh, you know, something bad happens and you get all this sequelae from it, all these um, following symptoms, and it can be really hard to release that, to move on, to figure out something to do with it. What what do you see in that um, with your work with medical PTSD? Is there anything people can do in that situation? I think first, definitely attending one of our discussion groups and listening. You don't even have to talk. Mm-hmm. Listening to other people's stories, I think, can be quite therapeutic because right then and there, that's a validation. You're not the only one. Um, I think if you're able to, talking to a loved one about it, talking to a trusted one, even if, let's say... You, you know, despite all this, you have that really awesome nurse Mm. Um, or, you know, definitely seeing a therapist. Uh, It can kind of be a little tricky with um, finding a therapist for medical PTSD. For that, I suggest looking for a therapist that 
you can go on psychology.com and see what people specialize in. So looking for somebody who specializes in uh, chronic illness and or chronic pain and PTSD. Um, that'll kind of combine two specialties. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of crying. Yeah. You know, I, I do a lot of self-talk that sometimes ends in crying. So I I can say I do a lot of uh, self-talk that leads into crying, uh, you know, sometimes right before I go to bed or in the shower, mm-hmm. uh, depending on your circumstances. Uh, and I, I would go back to that, you know, attempting to the best of your abilities, reframing. So if that means that, you know, you're just screaming and crying about like, you know, and you did this and you did that, go into how did that make you feel? And then go that, go into that with, I think a lot of the times when we're like yelling and screaming and crying, our message that we always kind of want to say is like, this isn't fair. Mm. I'm, you did me wrong. Um, I'm not this or that. And so leading into that, you know, crying and getting the anger part out because that, that part is very important to get out, but also saying like, you know, I'm not a bad person. You are, or, you know, doing that kind of positive self-talk, like, you know, this isn't fair and naming like what the good parts of you are. Hmm. That can be because tough. Then that'll when you're bring you down. <laughs> yeah, that can be really tough. Um, or even if you can't share that, think about it throughout the day. You know, um, there are times when I do something that's nice, and I I do nice and good things because I really want to, but I don't. I use those opportunities to be like, that was pretty cool of you, Emily. Like, that was really nice. Um, yeah, being a cheerleader for yourself and just appreciating all that you've been through. I mean, you're still here, even when yeah. you don't feel good. Um, you know, if you're feeling anxious or depressed or whatnot, you are still here. And that's an accomplishment. Um, and just building those tools to start practicing that cheerleader, you know, speaking up more, um, you know, of course, of course, um, good self-care such as uh, maintaining good boundaries, um, sleeping well, eating well, uh, giving yourself breaks between all the many, many things that we all are doing. Um and so then when you think about these hard things that you've you've survived through, you have a little bit of a tool in your back pocket to be like, well, I'm pretty cool. I went through this and I'm pretty cool. So I know that I didn't deserve this. Right. Do you, and that, that's excellent advice. Um, I'm trying to 
think of um, broadening the definition a little bit of medical PTSD. We've talked a lot about how, you know, it could be just from a pointed event of people touching, mm-hmm. prodding, that sort of thing. Um, does it ever happen though without strife, without that bad interaction with a provider? Do you see, you know, people yeah. reaching out? Yeah, just the quality, you know, the the stroke or whatever it was in itself was the trauma. Yeah, so first the definition that I have that I've created for medical PTSD because there is no definition right now. Um, so it's, it's still a work in progress, but it's that medical PTSD is a disorder in which a person's struggling, recovering from either experiencing or witnessing a terrifying medical event. Such events can range from medical interventions required for survival to communications errors between patients and providers. So with this um, definition, it could be like we talked about these big um, events such as being uh, airlifted to the hospital and rushed into the OR in which nothing, um, you know, everything could have gone according to plan and just in and of itself being lifted to a hospital uh, and rushed into OR, you know, that's what was needed for this person to survive. Um, To, and that action itself, I mean, it's scary for anybody. It's never happened for me. I've never been airlifted, but um, I can only imagine how scary it is. And then communication errors could be um, like we talked about earlier, where uh, the anesthesiologist, uh, you know, decided to go by the beat of his own drum. Um, so can you re-ask your question? So I was just thinking about, um, you know, we talked a lot about how medical PTSD comes from flaws within the healthcare system, but I just Mm -hmm. wanted to highlight to our listeners that you can have PTSD just from having gone through what you went through. It doesn't mean, you know, you could have had excellent care and have no qualms, but still be feeling that, that piece of trauma, you know, still be, still be reflecting back on it, perseverating on it. Um, I don't know what other, what other pieces of trauma, um, yeah, I guess maybe let's talk about that. Like what what things would indicate that maybe you are experiencing some trauma that you need to work on? Um, so classic symptoms of medical PTSD are intrusive thoughts. That could be something along the lines of like, it's never going to get better. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to die young and, you know, this is my life for the rest of my life. Uh, avoidance that could be something along the lines of avoiding clinic appointments, um, delaying going into the ER, uh, heightened reaction. This could be kind of going in this almost fight or flight response mm-hmm. when you're at clinic. For myself, it was kind of like I was highly reactive. Um, I, you know tried not to make eye contact with anybody or uh, talk to anybody. So I would come in with my um, headphones on with my head down um, because any little thing could set me off. Um, I've been anxiety there. <laughs> that could, yeah. <laughs> um, anxiety uh, that could be, you know, again, uh, with 
avoidance, um, you know, anxiety going into uh, a clinic appointment, going to the hospital for the ED, um, anxiety whenever they call, uh, memory loss. This could be being at such a heightened uh, reaction that it's hard to focus during um, appointments. So you don't quite remember what was talked about or what was talked about when or what you're supposed to do. And then self-isolation, that could be, um, you know, nobody understands what I'm going through or nobody cares, so you don't talk about it or you don't, um, uh, you select the people that you hang out with uh, based off of it. Um, So those are also common symptoms of uh, traditional PTSD that we can see in uh, people who have come back to the States as a veteran or who have experienced uh, domestic abuse, um, among other uh, PTSD um, triggering events in their life. And we, we touched upon quickly that on your website, you have discussion groups. And yeah. that's one um, big outlet for helping you manage mm-hmm. some of this. Um, tell me more about those. When do you have those? How does that work? Uh, so uh, we have the discussion groups uh, once every other week. They're usually in the early evening and they're usually um, kind of, they're topic specific in that here's the topic to get us going. Um, but they can very easily go to in general stuff. There's been times when we've just talked about, you know, funny things that are really just kind of free form. Um, some topics that we've, um, talked about are symptoms of medical PTSD, uh, gaslighting, um, the five stages of grief, uh, delayed trauma, uh, among others. Mm, Those are all really poignant topics. Um, Mm -hmm. I think anyone that's had a life-altering event has probably gone through, especially the stages of grieving. Um, that's, that's yeah. huge. And, you know, the, this podcast is to help provide community and make people feel less alone. And you, mm-hmm. I love that you're able to take it that next step and actually have those hands-on groups where you are meeting others. And like you had said earlier, feeling validated and just having a place where you can express everything that's going on to a group of people that understand. There's something to be said for that because when you're off by yourself alone, it gets awfully confusing, awfully quick. It can be really it's hard harder to break alone. that cycle. We're social, we're social species. Mm-hmm. We need each other. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, so what else, um, you know, what, I, I don't want to cut things short, but I also um, want to be cognizant. Um, what else is there? Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on in this show before we wrap it up? No, just that, uh, you know, pop is ever growing. So if anybody has any suggestions or interest in helping out, uh, please go to popmedicalptsd.org. Um, there's a submission form on there. Uh, always looking for volunteers specifically. If there's anybody listening who's a social media guru, would love your help. Um, 
I am a late millennial. I, I should know more about social media. And alas, it is a confusing world to me. Yes, it is. Um, so, yep, anybody who is especially good um, with social media, anybody who, even if you're like, hey, I want to get involved, I don't know about social media, um, reach out. We can find something. Uh, and, you know, any organizations that are listening, always happy to um, do some kind of partnership. Or if you think medical PTSD is, um, you know, hits close to home for your organization, happy to, uh, you know, do a speaking engagement as well. But that's, that's kind of it, you know, check us out. Um, and I'm just excited for what this year has to come. A lot of projects. Yeah, it sounds like it. And such amazing work. I really appreciate it all, Emily. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a really great conversation. And I hope that, you know, anyone that is struggling right now, um, you know, I feel it. I struggle <laughs> on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes you just need, you need that outlet. So please do reach out to... Um, the pop website and join some discussion groups or volunteer. I love like to say, um, I love to say been going through a hard time since 93. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's been a rough, it's been a rough time since 93. Well, and it's nice that it's nice to see how you've blossomed and been able to, you know, really take it kind of by the reins, um, rather than letting mm-hmm. it run you over, finding some successful coping mechanisms and being able to handle it and then give back to others. Um, such, yeah. so I'm, such a valuable I'm, thing. I'm just very happy to kind of find, it's always a gift to find something you're passionate about. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have found my passion. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Emily, for coming on today. We really appreciate it. Uh, This is Erin signing out for the Making Headway podcast. See you guys next time. Hi, everyone. Making Headway podcast is just a side project that I love. It's given me a lot of community along with giving you guys community as well. And I really thank you for supporting me. If you'd like to do something extra, we would really appreciate it. There's a few ways you could help us out. Rate us on your favorite podcasting platform. Share us with friends, family, or anyone that you think might want to listen. Also, clicking on the links in our show notes for Amazon gives us just a small kickback, just enough to help pay those bills. If you wanted to do something more, which we would really appreciate, you can donate at www.makingheadwaypodcast.com. Lastly, we have a Patreon account as well. That's found at www dot patreon dot com slash making headway podcast anything you can do to support us really helps us out thank you so much we really love you listeners bye thanks for joining us on the making headway podcast for more information and show notes visit makingheadwaypodcast.com subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a review check us out at making headway podcast on facebook and instagram and share with your friends catch you next time All topics are intended to be used for educational and entertainment purposes only. The podcast is not to be used as a substitute for medical advice. Always consult with your healthcare provider for any issues or treatment considerations you may have. For our full legal terms, please see our website at makingheadwaypodcast.com.
This podcast was recorded, mixed, and mastered with love at Stout Heart Studios. Sun rises across the ocean.